You are listening to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This podcast is hosted by retired corrections officer, Mark DeWolf, who will discuss various topics prevalent to corrections, gay culture, arts and entertainment, as well as current events. Listeners need to be advised that this podcast will discuss situations involving extreme violence, substance abuse, sexual assault, and murder. Details of actual events have been modified so as to protect the privacy of involved parties. Welcome back to the Gay Florida Man. This is episode 12, and the title for tonight's episode is A Pride I'll Never Forget. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for pictures, links, extras from each podcast that we try to share with you to make things more interesting. My friend Chan McCara keeps threatening me that if I don't put this stuff on here that he's going to kick my ass. And I said, don't say that. That's gross. Please don't lick my ass. And he gets really upset and says, I'm an asshole. And I tell him, well, you're a princess and I'm a queen, so shut up. He's probably listening to this right now, probably cussing me in his Lexus, but I really don't care. On last week's episode, I had my first three-way. That was really exciting. I got to play with two other people. Tonight, unfortunately, I have to play with myself. Tonight's episode is going to be more serious than the other podcasts that we've done up until this point. In order to give you kind of the storyline, I'm going to take you back to 2014. The theme for Pride that year was love equals love in Salt Lake City. On Saturday, June 13th, the white party was going to be taking place at the Paper Moon. And my good friend who was on episode one, Barbie, no longer worked at the prison. And she said, Mark, you ought to come to the white party. It's our biggest party of the year. You'll have a blast. And I took her up on the offer. I got together with a few friends. And because of Chamakara, I got a great rate at the Little America Hotel. I went by the liquor store, stocked up on some booze, and joining me in the hotel room was my good friend Tracy, my co-worker David, friend as well, his girlfriend Leslie, and Masako Kinley. Masako had never been to Pride, and she's good friends with Tracy, and she said, I've never been to Pride, I don't know what that is. She's very religious, she's LDS, she doesn't drink. She was still interested about the gay community and about the Pride Festival, so she decided to join us, and she ended up being our designated driver that night. So on Saturday, June 7th, we all get together and we all pre-drink again, except for Masako up in the hotel room. And we all get our buzz on. Pretty normal to pre-drink before you head out to party at the club. So we all are all dressed in white. We're all looking nice and beautiful, feeling pretty good. And we go down to the parking garage and we're all getting into Masako's caravan to go down to the club. And we run into another friend of Tracy and Masako's that used to work at the post office. And his name was Bill O'Reilly. Bill had retired. He used to do IT work at the post office. Interesting enough guy, older guy, like late 60s, early 70s. And so he said, what are you guys doing? And it's like, we're going down to the white party at the Paper Moon, but it's sold out. He's like, well, I'd like to kind of go down there and see what that's all about. Well, you can try again. It's sold out. So you're probably not going to get in. So he followed us down there and we go down to the white party. We go in through the VIP entrance and we get in and Bill's out there in the line in front. He's probably not going to get in there. Well, he, he did get in. It took him like an extra 30 minutes. 
So we're sitting up in the VIP section. He's out there on the dance floor with all these women. He's in hog heaven, I guess you could say. And we do our thing. We party. We drink excessively. And about 1 o'clock in the morning, they do last call like they always do in Salt Lake City. No liquor sales after 1 o'clock. So we are all pretty blitzed except for Masako. So we leave. And Bill's like, where are you guys going now? Uh, We're calling it a night. We're really trashed. And this is it. He's like, okay, well, nice meeting you. He goes on his way. We go on ours. So we leave the paper moon. We head out to the Village Inn, which is kind of like a Denny's in Utah a 24-hour diner sort of thing. So we have breakfast, and then we head down to the hotel. We're pretty drunk. We're laughing a lot. We're having a good time. It's now Masako, Tracy, and I. We go up to our room. Tracy and Masako are in one bed. I'm in the other. And we're laughing a lot, and we're probably laughing too much because bang, 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 security at the door. I'm like, oh, shit. Chan McCara got me this room. I don't want him to get in trouble. So I answer the door, and I open up the door, and it's not security. It's it's this guy, Bill, the guy that we saw a while ago at the club that left. He's standing there, and he said, are the girls in there with you? I'm like, yeah, Bill. Well, can I see him? So I look at the, the women, not girls, but that's what he called them. I said, is it okay if he comes in? And they both are very confused why he's at the door. But they're like, sure. I step back, he comes in, and he says, so you're gay? And I'm like, yeah. Well, you don't don't have a lisp, and you don't act feminine. (laughs) Very, very stereotypical based on television and movies. But no, I don't have a lisp. I am not an interior designer. I'm not a florist. I work in a prison. And believe it or not, gay people work all sorts of jobs, Bill. (laughs) So we go this back and forth and he's, he's almost interrogating me. And it's kind of like a twilight zone moment because I'm talking to this guy. He's like interrogating me and he starts to lead into this conversation about, he's not really comfortable with me being in the room with these two girls. Now, both Tracy and Masako are both married. They both have husbands, and their husbands are at home. And he's questioning, like, what my intentions are with these girls. And he clearly doesn't understand that typically I fuck guys in the ass. So as the conversation escalates, it gets to a point where it's like, look, it's getting late. And he he says, you know, I'm not really comfortable with this whole situation. And the only way that I'm going to be comfortable is if I sleep right here on this bench right here in the room. And I'm looking at Tracy and I'm looking at Masako and I'm like, what is this guy's fucking deal? And they're like, they're totally, they're embarrassed because he's already been very offensive in his whole stereotypes and then he starts to say i'm not comfortable with the situation i think i'm going to stay here in the room at that point we said no you're not it's time for you to go so he starts walking towards the door but then he turns towards me and he says if anything happens to her and he gestures towards masako if anything happens to her no 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 man you gotta go now get out of here and so it becomes a little more escalated we'll say he goes out of the room and i know that this guy is weird i pick up the telephone in the room i call the front desk i'm like i need security up here security comes up to the room 
And they knock at the door. I let them in and I explain to the situation. This guy comes in here and he's not comfortable with the situation that we're in here together. I don't know where he's coming from because he's married. He's got his own wife who happens to be Asian. And then he's got something with Masako. I don't know. He's He was worried about me sexually assaulting Masako, which is just strange. Security was kind of confused by the whole call, but I just wanted to make sure that this guy was gone. And he was gone. Tracy and Masako were texting this Bill O'Reilly guy saying, you're an asshole. How dare you come up into the room and you start insulting Mark about his sexuality. And then you're not comfortable. You're going to stay in the room. You've got problems. The weirdest thing is they learned through the text messaging. It was not random that Bill was in the parking garage when we left to go to the club. He had been following Masako. He admitted to this. He had been following her and followed her in the parking garage and then sat down there and waited until she came back down. She came down, thank God, I guess, with a group of people. That was Pride 2014, a Pride I'll never forget. Over the next few years, Tracy Masako and I would randomly get together for breakfast after work or Halloween parties or Christmas time. And it didn't matter what we were getting together, what the reason was. We always had to laugh about that night with Bill O'Reilly, or as we referred to him, Creepy Bill. We were able to laugh, and it was kind of a running joke for many years. And then on July 3rd, 2021, Tracy called me after midnight. And it's a phone call that haunts me to this day. So it's early in the morning of July 3rd, and I get this phone call from Tracy, and she's frantic. Something's wrong. Something's happened. They cannot find Masako. She tells me that her, Masako, and a couple other friends were supposed to get together at Roosters in the Leighton area for dinner, but it wasn't really confirmed. Masako was going to try to make it, so when she didn't show up, Tracy didn't think anything of it. But then Masako's husband, William, had started calling her after midnight Tracy had woken up for her shift at the post office and gets these missed calls and I guess voice messages. And so she calls back William, like what's going on? And, and he's like, where's my wife? Is she still with you? And Tracy's like, Masako never showed up instantaneously. I'm sure they're both like, oh my God, what's going on? Pretty quickly, they, they notify the police and then the police do their thing where they're checking hospitals or car accidents where there might be somebody that's unconscious, they haven't identified, and, and that's not the case. Instantaneously, Masako is now listed as a missing person and the police start you know searching and doing everything they can do. Then at 8.20 on July 3rd, they find her car, her caravan, in Sandy at the Costco. It's parked in the parking lot. And surveillance footage from their security system shows what looks like a male figure walking away from the vehicle, but there's no way to identify. I guess the footage is pretty grainy. At 9.30, it's now hitting the news. It's all over the internet. But at 9.30, the volunteers start doing searches, trying to find out where she might be, handing out flyers. It's on the news. It's on the internet. And everybody's getting together to try to find Masako. That morning, police had already started talking to Creepy Bill. So clearly, there's some interest there as to who this guy is and if he has any connection to this. There was not anything to hold him, so he's released. Now, here's what's interesting is he goes home 
And I guess he tells his wife that he doesn't feel that great and he's going to lay down. And then he goes and he overdoses on a bunch of medication. That's still on July 3rd. July 4th, everybody's still very actively looking for Masako. Still no sign of her. Using Creepy Bill's phone pings, and then they bring in cadaver dogs at 11.25 on July 4th. They find Masako's corpse on the side of the Jordan River. And according to news reports, there's both gunshot wounds and knife wounds on the body. July 5th, Creepy Bill is booked into the Salt Lake County Jail. The charges on the booking sheet are aggravated murder, abuse slash desecration of a corpse, and obstruction of justice. Once he's in custody, more information starts coming out about this whole situation with Creepy Bill. There is some indication now, and I guess they have footage, that Masako was seen with Creepy Bill at some parking lot of a hotel in Bill had booked a room there. There's now been questions about what type of a relationship they had. And I guess when this thing finally goes to court, we'll start to understand more details about what type of relationship they had and the details there. But a lot of that is still pretty vague. They did find out that two months earlier, a tracking device had been placed on Masako's car. And I guess she was getting her car worked on and the guy found the tracking device. Later on in July of last year, more details of the search warrant came out, and that's when they released that her wallet and sandal were in his car, along with a tracking device that he put on her car. A knife was found consistent with the wound on Masako's body inside his house or at his residence, and then blood-stained clothing was also located when they searched his house. Creepy Bill had a Glock, and I guess on the morning of the 3rd, he had taken the handgun and given it to a relative and said that he had accidentally discharged it behind his house and it had some type of jam in it and asked his relative to clean the weapon. So as you start to look at all these details, it doesn't look good for Mr. O'Reilly. It's tragic because as I'm sitting here recording, it's July 4th, 2022. Tonight marks the one-year anniversary of when they found Masako. Prosecutors have a really big case with this as they prosecute this guy with a lot of evidence. And it's interesting that being personally involved with Tracy and what we experienced with Creepy Bill in 2014, we had no idea it was going to lead to something so tragic. I wanted to get this story out today. And I wanted to celebrate Masako's life. She's got four children, two adult, two younger children that were robbed of their time with their mother. As this trial unfolds and as we hear more details about Creepy Bill's connection to Masako, it's probably going to be very difficult to hear. Clearly, allegedly, I guess I should say, he was obsessed with her looking over all the different reports from the local channels and resources and news outlets in utah i see the word creepy multiple times from people that saw he had an obsession with masako 
He's 75 years old now as he sits in the Salt Lake County Jail. And if prosecutors do their job, he will never see freedom ever again in his remaining days. I'm going to end tonight's podcast, and I'm going to tell you what I always tell you. Be good, and if you can't be good, be good at it. And if prosecutors do their job, they're going to prove that William O'Reilly is not good at it. Good night, my friends.